So Ruth is a love story, and it's a love story that also points to God and who God is, the God of the Bible. If you remember in the beginning of the book of Ruth, it says it was a time when the judges ruled. So that was a time of chaos, a time where there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they wanted. Um, people only cared about themselves and their own, their own passions, their own pleasures. They were not concerned about God. And God had to raise up judges, uh, people that were infused in, in with the Holy Spirit to save them when they got trapped by their enemies because of God's judgments. It was also a time of famine. So the main characters are Naomi and, his, and her husband, Elimelech. And their two sons, Malon and Killian, well, God, the land of God, Bethlehem, meaning house of bread, because there was a famine. So in the house of bread, there was no bread. I got to move this, hold on. Yeah, it's clear. Next Sunday, too. Oh, that's right. That's why he took the decision. That means the door is somewhere. So there was a famine in the house of bread. So they left the people of God, Israel, to the land of Moab, which is traditionally God's enemies. It was also a time of failure because Elimelech had his sons, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite wives, which was expressly forbidden. Not because of different ethnicities marrying, but because God said, these people worship false gods. And if you marry them, you will end up worshiping these false gods. They worship a false god called Chemosh, who was into child sacrifices and all kinds of evil things. That's why God said, do not marry these people from these other lands. And then finally, death, partly because of judgment, um, God allowed Elimelech to die. And then the sons end up dying as well, Milan and Killian. So you got Naomi, widow, Ruth, widow, Orpa, widow. So that's the death that happened. And then there was a, uh, uh, she, Naomi prays for their, her two daughters-in-law and says, bless you, thank you for being such a part of my life, but you need to go back to your people and back to your gods. She pleaded with them, Orpa eventually left, but Ruth said, no, no, I, your God is going to be my God. I'm going to die next to you. She was super faithful. She had a conversion experience. She was like, I want to worship the God of the Bible. We don't know why she did that, but she did. And we, and we talked about in the beginning that nobody had her plans. Her plans were to go back to Israel alone. But God had different plans because Ruth was not going to give up. She had a tenacious faith. And we'll see some of these same theme, themes today as we look at our passage. So that was, that was in chapter one. And she goes back and she goes to a safe place in Bethlehem and to the safe people, the woman, she says, I am bitter. This is a hard thing to happen. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Right? So she was, even though she's saying something that sounds like, is this sinful? I think it's okay to express that things are hard in our lives as believers. Not everything is pleasant and roses and victory in our lives as Christians. So she was in this place that was safe with people that she knew in her old village, and she was able to express this. So she was bitter. She was struggling. 
right? And in Providence, she ends up near the field of Boaz as the uh, barley harvest began, right? So in chapter two, we talked about Boaz meeting Ruth for the first time. She happens to find herself in the field of Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's, right? This is providence. This is God orchestrating things behind the scenes. It's not, it's not miracle, but it's providence. He works all things for his purposes. And she was a hard worker. She worked hard. She only took a short lunch break. And then Boaz noticed this because her Boaz's worker said, this woman has been working all day except for a short break. So then Boaz blesses her. She says, he says to her, you have, I've heard of what you've done to Naomi, that you have been by her side, that you have been a blessing to her. And the, the whole area knows about who you are. So she, he blesses her, and he also gives her a whole sack of grain in ephah, which is about two weeks' wages. Two weeks' wages worth of work in one day. Boaz also prays for her blessing, but then he becomes the means to her blessing. And I said that we are blessed to be a blessing to others, not just to hoard the good things that we have, but to, if we're blessed by God, we need to bless others through God. Right, gleaning was the way that they their form of social security in those days. Right, they didn't have uh, a social safety net like we do in many places here. But what they did is that the edges of the fields, God said, you leave these for the poor, so they can they can take the, the pluck the heads of the grain and eat. They can survive. That's how they survive. So you're not supposed to um, harvest the edges of the field. That is how. God provided for the poor in those days. Well, then Boaz tells his workers, don't just let her glean at the edges. Let her glean among the sheaves, among the main part, and leave bundles. Make it easy for her. Right? He prays for her, but she, he also does this stuff, leaving these bundles that have already been um, chopped off and ready to eat, much easier to consume. So Boaz goes beyond the law. Like the law says edges of the field only. He goes in the grace. He goes above and beyond what he's required to do, right? He says, glean among the sheaves, leave these bundles. Basically, they, he treated Ruth as a harvester, as his other workers. Like, go in, get whatever you want, and leave. That is grace, right? He also said, stay among my young women. Stay among these ladies. They will give you community. They will give you safety. Don't go into another man's field because you could be assaulted. Remember, I said it's a time of chaos and a time of danger. And we know this because Naomi was surprised by all this grain that she brought home, all this barley. And, he, and she was allowed to stay. Worked. They had lunch together, one lunch together, where she was able to dip her morsel in the wine. And she said they, she stayed in Boaz's field for the remainder of the season. So we also need to be <clears throat> pray for others, but also figure out ways that we can bless others. We also talked about that we are blessed when we wait for God's timing, right? Ruth had one meal with Boaz. Maybe there was some romantic interest there. We're not sure. doesn't say much. They just had one meal, and then she was for several more months 
just kind of just doing her job, living her life. So we need to wait for God's timing. It seems anticlimactic, right? Not a good, not a great romance starting off. If you look at Ruth chapter two, she's just doing her job. He was doing his job, being the, the leader of the harvest, this his field. But she just keeps working. She's waiting, just waiting for God's timing. She wasn't freaking out, having a meltdown, um, not calling or texting him 24-7, right? But she was just doing her life and life happens. And then she didn't push and God often makes things simple. So she was just waiting. She wasn't desperate for a relationship. And then we all talk about that. We are blessed when we use wisdom in getting or giving counsel. So you contrast Ruth, who is just living her life, had a nice meal with Boaz, working hard. Naomi had a different plan. So I think Naomi is, is the opposite of Ruth in that she was trying to force God's timing, right? Naomi was afraid, okay, you got this redeemer. He's a relative of ours, a distant relative, maybe a second cousin. Like this could be an opportunity to survive the rest of our life because these are two widowed women. In that culture, in that world, like women could not get jobs like men could. Their survival was dependent on a man in their lives, their physical survival, so she says, okay, there's this opportunity. Boaz is here. He's been kind to her. How can we make this work? I think this is, this is what happens when you become bitter against God. Sometimes you try to force things. I'm going to make this my way. I'm going to do things my way, right? I can't trust God to make it work. And I, I'm guilty of this as anybody. Sometimes I think I need to make this work because I don't know if God's got my back for real. Right, so she gives some questionable slash sinful advice. Right, she says, you know, you need to have rest long term. You need to not continually depend on somebody. You need a husband. So here's my plan. So she has this plan. She it's it's the time of winnowing. So at the end of the harvest, they had to winnow the barley. So they there's this high place. In the field, and all the people who would harvest, they had their grain. Uh, animals would crush the grain, and they would throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow away the chaff, and the heavy grain would fall back to the ground. So all the workers, all the people who had fields would be there this evening. It was a kind of a communal place. So and it's, it's a celebration time. It's time, you know, there's fun. There's some eating. There are some drinking involved. So Naomi knows this and knows Boaz's location. And she tells Ruth, dress nice, you know, put on makeup, wear perfume, get your best clothes. You're going to wait till the celebration is over. And you're going to wait until Boaz goes to sleep after he's done the work, had a meal, had a drink. And then you are going to uncover his blanket and lie down at his feet. Now, the, any way you, you splice this up, it seems like at, at the very least, not a great plan, right? Not a great plan, which whatever she's thinking, it doesn't seem like this is like God's will. It doesn't seem like this is like this is a God honoring form of uh, getting a relationship together, right? If I was a parent, would I want this for my daughter? No, definitely not, right? Get in another man's sleeping bag and see what happens. That is at least questionable, right? And it's poor advice because it's, it's, it sounds sneaky. It sounds hidden, right? It's tempting, right? You're, are you going to tempt Boaz by doing this? 
So for us, we need to seek wise Christian counsel. You know, we know that hurt people like Naomi can hurt other people, hurt people, hurt people. So when you're broken, you kind of skew what is best. Like I said, she had some bitterness and maybe she was trying to force God's plan. And then if we can just, we also need to discern maturity when we're seeking counsel. Who is mature? Who is whole? Not completely broken. Right? People who are ahead of us in seasons of life, people who are older. And we also are blessed. This is from last week or the last time we did Ruth a month ago. We are blessed when God overcomes our mistakes. Right? So Ruth follows the plan. She's a new believer, doesn't probably know better. Boaz is super surprised. He, he's startled by her. Didn't even know it was Ruth because it was so dark out, right? Who is this? So Ruth calls Boaz, hey, you're my redeemer which is the same as what Naomi called him. You're a kinsman redeemer with somebody, a relative who could redeem the people and the land in case somebody falls into poverty. And she says, um, Boaz, you're a redeemer. Could you basically marry me and provide for me? Spread your wings over me, it says in the text, right? Which means covering and protection. But Boaz, in this situation, he does not take advantage of Ruth, right? That would be the perfect, perfect opportunity to do so. She's saying, basically, marry me. I'm in your bed. I'm in your a sleeping bag. Doesn't take advantage. Instead, he prays for her. He expresses gratitude. He says he's interested in marrying her, but he wants to do this the right way, right? Because Boaz calls Ruth, you're also a worthy woman. It's the same word as uh, used for Boaz, the worthy man. Right, because he's a leader, he's a businessman, and he calls her, you're like a Proverbs 31 woman, a, a wise woman, even though she's young. He says oh, he agrees to marry her, but not through seduction, not through sin. He wants to do it God's way. Right, he needs to check. There's another redeemer who's closer, uh, in closer relative, make sure that he doesn't want to redeem them by marrying Ruth and taking the land. So we don't plan for mistakes as believers, right? We don't want to make mistakes. We don't sin that grace may abound, as Paul said. But we also know that nothing's outside of God's will. Our mistakes, God can redeem them and use them for anything he wants to. We, and that uh, proves that it's God who changes us and redeems us, not, not ourselves, because we all make mistakes. So God overcomes that. And that brings us to our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth, chapter 3, 14 to 18. Ruth, chapter 3, 14 to 18. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. She held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. 
She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So my first point is that God wants us to be vulnerable to him and to others. Boaz wants to redeem her, but he needs to check. And he said, go back to sleep. But Ruth probably, probably not a lot of sleep pattern. There's a lot going probably through her mind just with us, with decisions that we make, right? When there's big decisions ahead, I don't sleep well, right? So her future, her life with Boaz depends on this decision that's made the next day. So I doubt she got a, a lot of sleep. And we see this because she rose up early. They both rose up early while it's still dark outside. So probably not, was not sleeping in, right? And, and he says... Shouldn't be known, like don't let it be known that she was here. So what does this mean? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to Ruth? It seems kind of weird to talk to Ruth in the third person. But I, so I believe that he's talking to one of his helpers. Like I said, even though she snuck in, this is not uh, Boaz's house. This is a communal place where there's many people at the threshing floor. So it seems like this is, because this is a public place, he's probably saying to one of his helpers, one of his hired workers, make sure that she is not known. Because, like I said, the plan was not like the best intentioned plan. And the threshing floor was a place of joy, but it was also a place of sin, right? It, it says in Hosea, Hosea refers to Israel like a promiscuous woman by saying, You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. So what that what that metaphor means is that threshing floor was a place where prostitution happened. So she was seen by other men. That would be her reputation, even though nothing happened. Sometimes it doesn't matter if anything happened. You're already accused and tried and judged. Right. So Boaz is trying to honor and cover maybe the shame or the potential shame of her coming in the evening, right? And this is so countercultural. The world values crushing the weak and, and the strong crushing them, right? Shaming the weak. Like vulnerability is like weakness and shame, right? Think about it. If you, if you do an interview or have a res- resume, Right? What does your resume say? It says the best things about you, right? When you have the interview, what do you say what your weaknesses are? You say your weaknesses are that you work too much and that you care too much, right? So we even turn our weaknesses into uh, a strength, right? Nobody says, like, I'm a terrible worker. No one's going to say that. So our culture values strength and power. However, to thrive as human beings, we have to be vulnerable right? We are vulnerable, right? That's why we all are wearing clothes today, because we're vulnerable people, right? We, the elements and the surroundings can and will hurt us. That's why we wear clothes. That's why we wear seatbelts and helmets and different kinds of gear just to keep us from being physically hurt or killed, right? And we're the only people that, only creature that does that, right? No other animal, all other animals are naked, but because we're so vulnerable, we wear clothes. And I think we're much more fragile emotionally and mentally, right? One comment can be super devastating to us. And if you've lived long enough, you've seen this, right? We've all been hurt. 
I remember one time um, I was a kid. I read a book by Jack London. I was probably in middle school about um, a man who 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 did the Iditarod, which is a a kind of race using sled dogs. And I really loved the book. I told my parents. Um, I want to do this. I can do this. And I lived in California. It was like 60 degrees all the time. I would not survive in the snow. But they laughed at me. They laughed at me for this. And that was really hurtful. Now, of course, since then, we've talked about it and they've apologized. But those small things, even unintentional things, can really damage us. So what many of us do is we build our own emotional armor, our own emotional protection. Right? We either use anger Right? We get angry so people don't approach us. We wear the mask. We wear a mask of who we are. We pretend. You know, we pretend that everything's good. We pretend at church. We pretend at work about how life is going. At home, we wear this mask. And the mask is dangerous because the problem with wearing this mask is that sometimes you get confused. What is the real you and the you with the mask if you wear it too much? Right? We wear this mask to protect ourselves because we're afraid. And I think this is especially difficult in Kuwait because I've been here for, uh, this is my 14th year here, and people come and go. People come and go all the time. And what I've realized is that over time when people leave, it hurts you, and you become more and more I become less and less likely to want to engage with new people because it's like, it's just painful. It's natural, but it still hurts, right? When you see friends come and go, that is painful. So you, you kind of want to have those shields up more. Or if you're one of those people who's only going to be here for a couple of years, you think, well, why invest, right? Let's just keep it, uh, keep it formal, keep it casual. Right, you, so that's, that's especially in Kuwait, that's a problem. However, that is not how we can survive and thrive as God's people. We need to be vulnerable, right? We need to know our true selves and we need to know God through our true selves. And we know that vulnerability produces creation and creativity, right? I mean, in order to have kids, you have to take your clothes off and be vulnerable. Right, we all know this. And to share our ideas, if in, in the in this spiritual and physical realm, we share our ideas and our thoughts and our dreams and our desires, that's very vulnerable too. We don't want to do that. But we if we don't if we don't do that, it's dangerous for us. You know, with my, my wife, I wanted this is a couple of years ago now, I wanted to get my master's in theology, and she didn't laugh at me, she didn't mock me. She was super supportive of me. So I was vulnerable in the moment of expressing something that was very different than what my current job was, my current life was. And because she allowed me to be vulnerable in that way, I was able to work hard and produce and be creative and get, get, get good grades. So we need to be vulnerable to people and to God. Think of Ruth. She suffered, right? Her husband died. She's in a foreign land. Gave up her God in her whole life. Pretty painful stuff. But she still is vulnerable enough to ask Boaz to marry me. That's a pretty bold request 
right? Maybe she thought, I, I don't want to ask this. this. This is too crazy. This is too forward, right? But maybe she saw Boaz's character. This is an honorable man. He will protect me. He's not going to mock me or make fun of me or ridicule me or use me or abuse me. So maybe she saw something in his character that said, I can be vulnerable with this person. I think that's the same for us. We need to practice this. We need to be real with God at least, right? We need to open up. I mean, this is what a relationship with God is, right? This means opening up to him about your weaknesses, the things you're struggling with, hopes and dreams that seem like far out of reach. This is the beginning of a relationship with God starts with talking to God about your life. Yes, he knows everything, but we don't. We can't just assume that. We need to express ourselves to God because he is the safest person we can be with in the universe, right? We also need to be vulnerable with people, right? We need to use discretion like Ruth did. She trusted Boaz, not every single person. And for us, right, like our spouse, somebody to be vulnerable with. Hopefully your spouse is somebody you can be vulnerable with. Also good friends. I have great friends in my life. You know, as I've said before, as a pastor, you can't really open up with every single person about all my issues, right? That's, that's not healthy. But I have great people in my life, excellent lifelong friends that I can share everything I'm struggling with and dealing with. And that is so healthy for me and so helpful. And I can share things like my fears, shame, regret, hopes, dreams, right? And this allows me to grow and thrive. So we need to find people. If you don't have people in life, you need to make friends and find people that you can be vulnerable and real with. We also need to be safe for others like Boaz was, right? People are not going to be vulnerable with you if you are not a safe person for them. We need, so what that means is you need to be understanding of people, where they are, right? Not try to change the subject. Some people, and I'm, I'm like this, I, when people get real with me. I want to like change the subject. Let's go, let's do something different, right? Because it can be uncomfortable to feel people, see people's emotions, right? We need to have empathy. We need to understand what people are going through. We need to listen, ask questions. We need to help others grow and thrive that way. And this is one of my prayers for CIC. I want this to be a place and a people that can be, where you can be vulnerable. Remember I said for the art, our New Year's vision, part of that was rebuilding community. And I think a big part of rebuilding community is being a safe place. Now, I'm not saying we're not a safe place. We are, but we need to cultivate that and be intentional about that, right? And just like I said, a simple comment can hurt somebody. So we need to be intentional about thinking of this. And this takes, it takes time. It takes effort to sit after church or before church or having coffee with somebody. It takes time. It takes effort. It's not natural, but that helps people thrive. So God wants us to be emotionally and spiritually vulnerable to him and to others. And my second point is that God wants us to be a blessing to others. Right? This is a theme that we've seen before in Ruth. Right? Boaz protects, uh, he resists temptation with being with Ruth. And then he also gives her more grain for her journey. Not only does he protect her, he's like, Here's a huge sack of grain. We don't know six measures. It doesn't say actually what the unit of measurement is, but clearly it says it put it on her. So it must have been big enough that they had to like put it on her shoulders or on her head. 
And this is Boaz's hard-earned money. This is not something small. This is, this is his wages. And it could also be another way of protecting her. Like if a woman came out of the threshing floor empty-handed, people might notice and have questions like, okay, what are you doing on the threshing floor? Like I said, that's a place where sin can happen, prostitution can happen. He could also be protecting you. Here's a sack of grain. It looks much more natural. I went to the threshing floor to buy, to buy grain. So, and when he tells Naomi, when she tells Naomi, here's what happened. Boaz also cares for her mother-in-law. It says, you know, don't let your, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed, it says, right? So that's the people in her sphere of influence, right? In our spheres of influence, we don't just bless the people. We should bless other people's families. And this is where I can be really bad at. I'm not great at remembering everyone's name in the family, especially little kids. Um, but just something we can grow. We need to love all the family. If you want to bless people, you bless their families, the people in their spheres of influence. Right? I remember when Elliot was born, um, many women in the church provided meals for the first several weeks, maybe even a couple months. It was a huge blessing for us. Probably the best meals I've had in my life as well, on top of that. And I didn't know that it was going to be so exhausting to have a kid. But people provided for me and my family. Because people loved me, they loved her, and they loved our baby. So we need to bless others like Boaz. And that's hard to hear because we often have our we're here for our own goals. We want to make our own money. We want to build our own kingdom, right? Most of us are in quake for that reason. And like I said, we don't want to be sometimes overly involved. I'm going to be here for a couple of years and move on. Or maybe other people are going to be leaving. I don't want to get emotionally tied up. And also, we're in a time of COVID where there's risk of in like, oh, if I go to someone's house or spend time with them, there could be fear. And also, we've also gotten used, I think, in COVID to being isolated, to spending tons of time on screens instead of with real people. Right, so that becomes much easier. However, we need to be like Boaz. We need to bless people. We need to spend time with them. We need to make those meals for babies, for sick people, presents and gifts. This can be buying um, coffee for each other. I remember just a few weeks ago, I went out with coffee for, with a friend. I invited him out and I was gonna pay for it, but he refused. We thought about it, and he like, wouldn't let me pay. I was so angry. But he was really wanting to bless me, and I, I couldn't dissuade him of that. So we need to bless others. Of course, it's not just physical, right? It's calling, texting, emailing people, praying for them. I think also letting them know, I am praying for you. Right? That goes a long way in blessing people, just know that you are considering them being with them in family, right? Taking an interest in them and their families and being real and vulnerable with other people, like I said before, right? If, if we do these things, we will bless others. So we need to be vulnerable to God and to others, to bless others. And finally, we need to wait on God because of his kindness, right? So Naomi changes her tune. If you look at the end of the text, she's like, that's great. Let's wait on Boaz. So I think she had a change of attitude. Remember her original plan, let's make this happen. Let's make this marriage happen by hook or by crook, right? And then she hears all that Boaz did in his honor 
didn't seduce her, didn't take advantage of her, blessed her with grain, right? Honor his honor and love. And then I think maybe they changed her. Maybe we should trust Boaz, wait for his timing for things happen, right? I think the kindness of Boaz softens Naomi's bitter heart, right? Reminds me of Peter in the boat with Jesus, right? He says he wants to get on the boat to preach. He preaches to the people. He says, catch up, take out your net for a load of fish. So we've been doing this all night, Lord, like, but we'll do it at your will, begrudgingly, right? And he catches huge catch of fish, right? The nets were breaking, right? And what is Peter's response? It wasn't like, yes, money. No, he said, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He was broken by that. He, his heart was soft, right? Because he saw that the power and the love of Jesus. So love and blessing, I think, teaches us to wait. And that's hard because I'm a doer. Like, I like to do things, get things done, right? And it's not something you just said. You just wait for God's timing. That that's, doesn't help anybody. I've heard that a thousand times. It doesn't help. But I think if we look at the text, looking at the way Boaz, his kindness and his love and his honor, if we look at God's kindness and his blessing to us and we think about this, I think that will influence us to wait on his timing, right? It says in the Psalms that to taste and see that the Lord is good. If you viscerally know in your body and in your mind that God has blessed me and is good to me, you are more likely to wait on him. So let's focus on how God has blessed us. Think back. Keep a journal of ways that God has been kind to you and blessed you, and that will help you to wait on the Lord. So as we close, we know that Boaz is a lesser form of Jesus. Jesus came to this earth to be vulnerable. He is a sovereign God who controls all things, who came into the earth as a vulnerable baby and then a man. And that vulnerability stretched through his life as he received ridicule, mocking, and ultimately torture and death. Not only was he vulnerable, he taught us to be vulnerable and admit our weaknesses and be humble like him. It says, wash each other's feet. Don't be like the Gentiles lording it over them. The greatest of you will become the least and will wash the feet of others. Jesus also is blessed he also blessed far more than Boaz, right? Boaz gave Ruth grain, but Jesus gives us the bread of life himself. He says his body is true food and true drink, because if we accept his sacrifice of his body and blood on the cross, then we'll be satisfied not just for a meal, but we'll be satisfied eternally. And finally, Jesus is greater than Naomi and Ruth. Ruth was waiting for God's timing for a day, that day, one day, for Boaz to decide to marry her. But Jesus is waiting for us to be re reunited because he, it says in the Bible, that he is the groom in the church. His people is the bride. So he died to make us his bride, and he will wait until the fullness of time to return and marry us to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for this love story that teaches us about who you are. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a God who wants us to be, that you made us vulnerable. You want us to be vulnerable with you and with others. That you've made friends and friendships and relationships to help us to grow and to thrive. And that you've given us so much. All of us here have jobs. 
and that provide for us probably much more than we deserve, much more than what we need. So we not just to hoard it for ourselves, but to bless others with it. And thank you, God, that we can wait on your timing because you have been so good to us through this time and through this season. And God, just help us. Help us to remember these things as we go into our next week. We ask for this in your great name, King Jesus. Amen.